Thank you. Good morning, guys. It's good to see you. Um, I hope you caught this this morning's message. I, you know, I've been uh, I've been listening to Dan preach for a long time. I've known that guy a long time. That message, uh, and I'm praying that this morning you would recognize the connection between what we're talking about this morning and what Dan spoke of uh, this morning, okay? So, um, hi, Jeremiah. Wow, that's nice to see you. Don't know what you're doing here, but that's cool. Uh, High school kids are sneaking into the college services. What's that about? Okay. Um, Go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. And while you're doing that, I want to invite you again. If you're here this morning and you are a Bible study leader, if you are in a Bible study, or you hope to be in a Bible study, I want you to be with us uh, as we talk about Discovery Bible Method, its, its purpose, how we're going to use it as a, a strategy to reach our city. There's going to be pizza here. You're invi- There's like I, We ordered more than enough pizza, so be a part of that. I know that you probably, some of you might have plans. Uh, but some of you made those plans forgetting that you were supposed to be here first. So you need to text and cancel whatever it is you're doing so you can be a part. We're going to actually do some small, uh, small group stuff where we practice. So, so be ready for that as well. Okay? Romans chapter 1. We have been in Romans okay, the last few weeks. And we're discussing, uh, really in this introductory chapter, uh, the relationship between Paul and the church in Rome. We talked a little bit about the Roman church and how it was kind of a fledgling church. But yet, what we're about to find out today is that their fame was being spread throughout the world. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Now, Paul has a great desire to come to these people. And this letter is almost like, hey, when I get, get to, to Rome and when I come and see you, these are the things that we're going to discuss. These are the things that we're going to talk about. And that's why he sent this letter. It's kind of a precursor to what was going to come in terms of his teaching and his time spent with them. And, and uh, so we're going to continue to look at this kind of introductory chapter. And I think this morning is going to be very inspirational. All right. Uh, and so, so be prepared uh, for that. So today we're going to continue reading from Romans chapter 1. And I think this comes at a good time today. Uh, again, like I said, especially after Dan's message. And on a day that we're going to be talking about Bible study. And a day that we're going to be talking about how we're going to use Bible study to reach the world. I think today... Uh, is like the timing is just right. It's amazing how God does that. And, and the message is significant because I believe what Paul's words are, are, are going to share with us today is he's going to give us a model of leadership and how to conduct ourselves in ministry and how to, how to see ministry rightly. And this is going to apply, apply directly to how we oversee and steward the responsibility of our, of our Bible studies. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I think this message holds particular value to anyone who leads a Bible study or has interest in growing as a leader in ministry. Okay? So I'm going to pray again. Is that all right? Let's pray again. And then let's get right into verse 8. As as soon as I can get to to the Bible, the better. Okay? Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I I need you. I need you desperately. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm so excited today. I'm so stoked by what you brought to us in the first service, that it's kind of just rattling around in my head. And, and I'm just excited because I believe 
with all of my heart that you're going to use this ministry and this church to reach the entire world. And it's such an overwhelming thought to me uh, that I have no choice, really, and I ask for your help, but to rest in the fact that you want to use me. And and in all of my issues and all of my my problems and and my inability, uh, all the things that should have disqualified me from ministry, all the things that, that make me inadequate, God, I just, I have to lay those before you with the hope and the desire and the knowledge that you want to use me to spread your name and to spread your fame in this world. And I, and I know that's the prayer of, the, of other people in this group. Lord, there's people in here today that are, are ready. They're on the precipice of being used in a new way. And Lord, they're going to have to die to themselves. And they're going to have to lean into you and to your church. And they're going to have to sacrifice some things. And they're going to have to change their prayer life. And they're going to have to change their disciplines in the way that they study and the way that they see your word. And God, I pray that you would give them the grace and the rest to do that. Lord, there's people here this morning who don't even know you as their Savior. There are people that are at church this morning because, well, Lord, they're longing for something. Because they desire uh, somewhere deep down to be a part of something that's greater than themselves. They desire to find forgiveness because they haven't been able to find that in their own heart. They haven't been able to find that forgiveness and that acceptance in the people around them in their spheres of influence. It's not there. And as they look out, Lord, they can't find any hope because, well, they've exhausted all of their resources. And so, Lord, they're here this morning because they're hoping to hear something new, and I know that you have something for them. And, Lord, it comes, it comes in Jesus Christ. It comes in his death, burial, and resurrection, Lord. It comes in what he did for us. And, Lord, I pray that the people here that don't know you, the Lord, they come to find you this morning in the message of the gospel and the truth of your word. God, help them to find that place. Help them to give up on themselves so that they can find you. Lord, we ask for your help. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Verse 8. Okay, he's, Paul is talking to the church in Rome. He's, he's now getting into kind of the meat of of what he's going to be talking about. And he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Listen, this is amazing. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Your faith. He's he's telling the church in Rome, look, your faith is being spoken of. You might not even know this, but your faith is being spoken of throughout the entire world. Wow, what an amazing thought, huh? What an amazing thought. That this, this church, this, this beginning of a work in Rome, with all of its problems and all of its disunity, remember we talked about how the Jews and the Gentiles weren't really getting along, they couldn't figure out how to view each other rightly, and there are, there's all these little problems, and there's these little moments of disunity, and they don't have things figured out, but yet their faith is being spoken of by people all over the world. And so I want to encourage you this morning that even when you don't think you have things figured out, that God wants to use you to spread his name abroad. See, Rome is a unique place during this time period. In fact, there's never been an empire quite like Rome was during this time. It was the most influential empire the world has ever seen. And the saying of the time was, all roads lead to Rome. Have you guys heard that said before, right? That's like the historical statement when they're teaching in a Western Civ class. 
That's the first thing that they're going to talk about when they start talking about Rome during this time period. All roads lead to Rome. And what does that mean? It means that if you had a reason to go and do anything in the world during that time period, then you would probably find yourself in Rome. It's the epicenter of commerce. It's the, it's, it's the epicenter of culture, of language, of governmental rule. And if you were going to do anything, you were probably going to go to Rome. Right? That's where the answers were. And so what you have is this group of people who are serving in the most influential place in the world. And this place is a place of absolute darkness. It's a place of pagan idolatry. It's a place of where anything is accepted. Just imagine the great uh, metropolises of the world today. Think of New York, right? Think of San Francisco. Think of, of Tokyo, right? Think of Hong Kong. Think of the places in this world where the, 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 the commerce is happening, where business is happening, where the major spheres of influence in this world are today. And imagine the debauchery that takes place in those places. You guys know it. Because their influence reaches us here in the Midwest, in lowly Kansas City. The influence of, of culture and commerce in places like New York, they reach us here. We're influenced by it, right? It's where things, things happen. And it spreads its darkness in many ways every, everywhere. And yet, there's this tiny group of people in a place of darkness, in a, in, in a place of persecution, which we'll get to in a moment, who are choosing... To trust God. And the persecution part is really important. Dan touched on that today, right? Remember how the church in Jerusalem was, was spread through persecution, right? You guys heard that today? Well, the same thing was taking place in Rome. The persecution was thick. And over the next 150 years, uh, Christians in Rome would give their lives repeatedly over and over and over again. For the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And that is where that is where the fame came from. That there was this people that the world acknowledged as being persecuted people. That when the trial came, they withstood. They stood. Now I want to say this. Faith can speak very loudly in a world that doesn't have it. Faith is powerful. See, faith is a lifestyle, a belief that produces in, 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 so, in us something very particular, very unique. It's called abandon. It's called abandon. See, faith in that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose again and has a future place waiting on us, that this world is not our, our home, Right? And that we have a mission here. Faith in that gives us the ability to abandon everything else. We can cut ties with just, we can cut ties with any worldly thing. And the world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't know that. The world thinks it, it, it finds its freedom and its liberty in the bondage of entertainment, of sex, of, of the worship of, of material goods. That's where, the, that's where the world finds its freedom. And when they see a people that's peculiar, that's set apart, that's holy, that's abandoned for what they believe, oh, that speaks loud. It speaks loud. And, and that is how a small group of people in Rome, little, little homes where churches were meeting, 
people hiding away for fear of persecution, of exile. Their fame became known abroad throughout the whole world because they chose to believe God, and that spoke volumes. And the question is, for you, what value does your personal faith have in this world? What value does your, your personal faith, Brad, Jorge, Bryce, Seth, what does your personal faith hold in terms of value in this world? You know, the word faith is mentioned in Romans 39 times. 39 times. And so we're going to learn a lot about faith as we read through Romans. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time camping out here and doing a word study on faith. I'm not going to do that. But faith in this chapter alone is mentioned six times. It's mentioned six times in this chapter alone. And let's look at those real briefly. What does faith hold? As, as, what, is, what is faith in, in chapter 1? What is it? Well, in verse 5 it says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among, among all nations for his name. So the first thing that we recognize is that faith produces a mission. Faith produces mission. What is faith? What value does it have? What good is it in my life? What has it ever done for me? Well, it's given you a mission. It's given you a purpose. The value that it holds for you is that it takes a life of meaninglessness and monotony and worthlessness and it allows you to abandon those things that you might live towards the mission. Faith produces a mission-minded people. And we see that in Romans. What else does it do? Verse 12. Paul says, That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Faith provides us with comfort. Faith produces comfort in our lives. When we couldn't find it in, in idolatry, when we couldn't find it in addiction, when we couldn't find it in, in, in uh, uh, family, when we couldn't find it in our friends, when we couldn't find the comfort that we were looking for, guess what? Faith produces comfort in us. It gives us hope and purpose. It gives us a mission and it allows us to rest in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And when we come together, just as Paul was saying, when we come together like this in our Bible studies or on a Sunday morning, and we are with other people of faith, that should promote in us comfort. You know, it's very comforting to me when I hear a message like I heard from Dan this morning. It's comforting for me to know that Dan is saying and thinking and desiring the exact same things that I think and desire and want. Well, the things that he's bolstering his heart towards sound just like the things that I want to live for. When I sit down with you guys on a Saturday, when I hang out with Uriah, and the words that come out of his mouth sound just like the things that I want, that faith in him does something with the faith in me. Faith brings us comfort in the knowledge that Jesus Christ has us. He has us. He's got us. He's taking care of us. And he's he's purposing us. You understand? What is faith in chapter uh, chapter 1? What else is it? Verse 17. The word faith is used three times. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, 
As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is this saying? Is that faith is the revelation of righteousness in this world. In other words, faith holds the key to freeing you from your wickedness and to make you right before a righteous God. Faith is the message, it's the medium through which we come to a place where we're saved, where we're set apart, where we're delivered from the world. And so faith for us is very much, it's a mission, it's a comfort for our souls, but it also is the words on our mouth that set people free. What faith, what what value does faith have for you, believer, Christian? What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ? So faith is manifest in many ways. But for the Romans, their faith became famous because it gave them the strength to look trial square in the face and not flinch. I haven't even gotten to my first key point yet, but I want to ask you this. This is an important question. What trials and what difficulties and what thoughts and what experiences have gotten in the way of your faith? What's hindered your faith? Huh? What's getting in the way of you believing God for anything and everything? What is getting in the way? Listen to me. Today, uh, both in this message and in our Discovery Method Refresher, we are going to be talking about how to reach the world. And I'm going to tell you this. We won't reach the world. You won't have a part in that if you don't believe that you can. You will disqualify yourself. You will find insecurities. You will find yourself worthless. You will find yourself preoccupied and distracted by the world. If you do not believe that God wants to use you And some of us are sitting on the sidelines, and we're about to start and begin a work. It's a hub with spokes. We are producing spokes, and that is a work of faith. And we want you to be a part. But you've got to leave your faithlessness at the door. Do you understand? So what about you? Your, your testimony may not be spoken of throughout the whole world. Does anybody have a, is anybody that famous in here? But the question is, but, but does your testimony resonate in your community? You know, your faith could be famous in your sphere of influence. Is it? And, and if it's not, something's the matter. You know, uh, uh, I don't remember, I think, it's, I think it's Psalm chapter 9, I don't remember. I was doing my, my reading with my son last night before bed. And I always just read one psalm because it takes, it takes about 10, like one verse from one psalm. Because it takes 10 minutes, all the questions that he has. Daddy, what's vanity? I'm like, oh gosh. You know what I mean? It takes forever. So we do one verse. And last night's verse, I can't even recollect what it is. It's early on in the psalms. It, it says, 
that, that Jesus Christ, God, wants to and desires to make his name excellent in this world. Like, that's what he does. It's the, it's the natural, like, God's natural position, okay? When he is just himself, his name becomes famous in this world. And you can either be a part of that in your faithfulness, or you can remove yourself and separate yourself from that work in your faithlessness. Do you understand? We need to believe. And does your testimony have power and influence in the community that you're in? See, your faith in chorus with the faith of those in this room, in this local body, in this church, has the potential to be spoken of throughout the entire world. And when those spokes connect with one another, from, from Grandview to Bolivia, if you can imagine, as the living faith community works together in harmony to proclaim Jesus Christ, we do have the ability and the opportunity in humility and in faith to make our faith known in the entire world. We have, like, that is not an insane thought. And are you going to be a part of that? So, let's look on. Paul realized that with such a great testimony of faith, that the Romans ran a greater risk of peril. Right? That they were a, a greater target for the enemy. You understand that? That, that if we choose to be faithful together, if we choose to do this mission work, if we choose to stand in the face of the devil, in the wiles of the devil, and stand in faith, that there is going to be persecution that comes up against us. And maybe it's a trite thing to say, but it does paint a target on our back. And there won't be anything that that, that Satan puts off the table in terms of his ability to attack you. He's going to find your weakness And he's going to try that thing. And we have to recognize that as a group. That as as Amanda and and Alex and their team chooses to go start a Bible study in Grandview, that they're going to be under attack. That Satan isn't going to let that thing go unseen. Their faith is going to be under trial. And Paul recognized that for the Romans as well. Look at uh, Romans chapter 16. Verse 9 says, For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. So that sounds familiar, right? He, this is a repetition of what he said in chapter 1. Your, your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. Okay? Right? Colon. But yet, I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. He wants them to be aware in their faith and in their obedience that there is, there is opportunity for Satan in your faithfulness. He wants to bring you down. And so go back to verse 9. What does Paul do in the face of potential trial? He prays. He prays. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Without ceasing. Now, we, we often think about that, and we think, oh, man, well, that's impossible, right? I wouldn't even be able to do my job if I prayed without ceasing. And you're thinking about it wrong, 
Okay? You're thinking about it wrong. What Paul means here is that there's a seamlessness in his prayer life. That every opportunity and every moment of life, there are, his life is about the habit and, and, and the conversation of prayer between him and God. He's constantly in and out of dialogue with, with Jesus Christ. And in this case, he's saying that he is, his prayers are ceaseless for the church in Rome. Now, he says this again to the Ephesians. He makes a similar statement to the Ephesians. Go to chapter 1, verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, does that sound familiar? Sounds like what he was saying to the Romans, right? I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I heard about your faith. Your faith is famous in the world. And love unto all the saints cease not to give thanks for you, making mention, mention of you in my prayers. Now listen, what's the content of his prayer? That's the question. He doesn't give that to us in Romans, okay? but he gives it to us here in Ephesians. So look at the content of what it is that he's praying for these people of faith, for those who believe. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now listen, we don't have time to break that down real eloquently, but listen to me. This is what he's praying for. Those who stand in mutual faith need consistent prayer Okay, for wisdom, for revelation in God's word, for understanding of the calling and understanding of their inheritance. Now listen to me. Like I know I'm losing you guys. You're tired. And today is a marathon. We've got first service, second service, and then we've got like extra service today. I can't lose you here. Because here's our key point. Faithful saints pray for one another. Oh, that's simple. That's obvious. No, 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 no. Listen to me. We don't do it. We don't do it. We don't pray without ceasing. We don't do it. Oh, I get it. It's obvious to you that Christians pray for one another. No, 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 no. Listen to me. Christians don't pray for one another. That's why the world looks the way that it looks. Christians don't pray for one another. You know who prays for one another? Faithful people pray for other faithful people. Faithful Christians pray for one another. And when they pray, they pray for wisdom. They pray that that people would gain and glean truth from God's word, that they would get revelation from God's word. They pray that other people would understand their calling in the mission. They they, They pray that people would understand the inheritance that waits for them so that they can do endure anything to get there. So they might enter in to, into abundance. Do you understand? This is what our prayer life should look for one another. And so as we go and we start planting Bible studies and those spokes, they extend. And faithful people say, yes, I'm going to go to that community. And I'm going to reach those people. And I'm going to invest. And I'm going to disciple. And they choose in faith to do that work. If we fail to pray for them then we're failing the mission of Jesus Christ. So the key point might be obvious to you, 
But listen, faithful people, they get attacked. And we need to pray that they would have everything that they need to endure. Look at verse 10. He also longed to see them. Verse 10, making request, if by any means, okay, so his prayer life is also about this request. If by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. See, his prayer included a desire to see them. Why? Why? Why did Paul desire so greatly to see the Romans? He tells us, For I long to see you, that that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, ye may be established. That is, that I might be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Why? Why does he desire to see them? He doesn't want to just pray for them. You understand? He doesn't want to just pray for them alone. He wants to invest the truth of God's word in them. He wants to establish them. He wants to give them spiritual... That's what the word impart means. It means give spiritual insight to these growing believers. So our next key point is, they're coming quick now. Get ready. See, faithful saints desire to meet with faithful saints that they might establish them. Now, isn't that what we're doing? Right? Don't we call that discipleship? See, what Paul wants to do is he wants to pray for them that they might be strengthened. But he also wants to go to them so that he might strengthen them. And that's, that's the work, right? Is to pray and to go. And so the question is, are we going? Does that sound familiar? Are we going? Where are you going to? Where are you doing the work? Who are you discipling? Who are you investing in that you might establish them? And for some of us in this room, we need to be established. Some of you, this, the, the, you are more like a Roman here. You believe, and your faith is only just sprouting. Who is, that? Who is that in here? You should know. Look, think in your mind. Did you just get saved? Or maybe you just started coming to church. Or, or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never fully invested. You've never truly abandoned yourself. And your faith is brand new. It's, it's new. Right? This is all fresh to you. And you need a Paul to invest and establish you. That's the work. And if you want to grow in your faith, then you need people to invest the truth of God's word in you. They need to impart a spiritual gift to you. And also, he longs to be with them that their mutual faith might bring comfort. So the next key point is this. Faithful saints desire to meet with faithful saints. That they might comfort one another. They might comfort one another. Now let's think about this in terms of our Bible study. This is all of the things that Bible study should be. Have you caught that so far? All of our key points are all the things that our Bible studies should be. And if we're not currently doing these things, then there's something that's off. If we're not praying together, then there's something off about your Bible study. Okay? There's something off about that. If we're not praying for each other, we're, we're kind of, we're talking about the Bible a whole lot, but you're not asking that God would be in that? That God would help us? That God would strengthen us? 
that the Holy Spirit would live in that, we need to pray. Your Bible study needs to be discipleship. Young believers should be able to come into your Bible study and begin just by, by drinking the milk of the word. And you should be able to create an environment for them where they can just get a hold of God's word and start believing it for themselves. That they might be grown and strengthened and that you might encourage them and provoke them to righteous living. That's what Bible studies should be. And Bible studies should be a, a place of comfort, shouldn't they? When, when a person comes into your home and into your, into your Bible study, they should find comfort there from their work week, from their relationships, from the struggles that they're having. When they come together with you, true fellowship happens when faithful people dialogue. They hang out. They spend time together. They invest in each other. And comfort is there. We find comfort. In that. Who in here finds comfort in their Bible study? Think about that testimony. That you have a place to go to. That it doesn't matter how messed up you are. The people in that group are going to accept you and love you and help you. I'm telling you this. Listen, you might have forgotten. But most of the world doesn't have that. Have you forgotten so quickly what it, what it was like to be a lost person? I mean, one of the reasons that you're here is because you found that there was something unique about the people here. You remember that? The world does not have a place of comfort. It's only found in Jesus Christ working in us. That's true fellowship. Verse 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto. In other words, he was constrained. He couldn't come to Rome. He's, for a long time, he's wanted to come. He's wanted to come and be with them. He's wanted to come invest in them. But he hasn't had the opportunity yet. That I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So let's pause there. Paul wanted many times to come to Rome, but he was hindered. Every time that he wanted to come, he was hindered. What was his reason for wanting to come? Well, Paul wanted to bear fruit there. He wanted to make an investment. He wanted to go and cultivate righteousness there. And he didn't do this out of selfishness. He did it out of debt. Did you guys see that? So that's an interesting thing. I am a debtor is the statement. Now who is he indebted to? What's it say? To the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So notice he's not indebted to God. Have you guys ever thought about that? He's not indebted to God. A lot of times we think about ministry as duty. And you know what duty is? It's religious activity done to earn favor with God. We are not indebted to God. Jesus Christ paid our debt. He paid that debt. You know who we're indebted to? We're indebted to all those people in the world who do not know the name of Jesus Christ. They do not know the freedom and the liberty that comes with knowing him. That's who we are indebted to. And we are indebted to the great commission for Jesus Christ's namesake. And our only purpose in this life is to pay that debt. Is to instill and invest the word of God in other people.
So how do we pay that debt? Paul tells us, verse 15, So, as much as in, as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to, to you that are at Rome also. I am ready. I'm ready to pay that debt. How many of you are ready? I got some, some people who are just, just audacious. Just raise their hand. I'm ready. Some of us aren't. Some of us are intellectually and we are in our heart. Some of us are in our heart, but we're not in our head. Some of us have the fervor and the virtue and the excitement. And we don't have the knowledge necessary to take the word to other people. You need to be discipled. Some of us have the head knowledge, but they need the heart. They need to believe. They need, they need the, the, their faith to be cultivated. <laughs> Very seasonal. Ringtone. How do we pay the debt? We pay it by preaching. Listen to me. This is not preaching. What I'm doing this morning is not preaching. This is how we define it. We lock it into this box. And we're like, oh, well, he's talking about, this is what pastors do, they preach. So that's, that's what Paul was doing here. No. You preach with your life and your words everywhere you go. That's what you do. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.16. For though I preach the gospel... I have nothing to glory of, uh, of, right? Okay, though I preach the gospel, I, have, I cannot, I cannot uh, stand in boastfulness. You understand? I cannot boast of myself. For necessity is laid upon me. Boy, that word necessity is powerful right here. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe is unto me. If I preach not the gospel. Those are the words of a slave. Those are the words of a person in slavery. To the message of Jesus Christ. For if I do this thing willingly. I have a reward. But if against my will. A dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. What is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel. I may make the gospel of Christ without charge that I am abuse not my power in the gospel. You know what he says that the reward is? Is preaching the gospel effectively. That's the reward. The, the reward is that we might preach the gospel and that it be effective. And, and woe, is it, it's a necessity. Woe, it's a burden. It's this thing that I carry and I carry it with pride. My burden is my privilege. Now, you don't get it. The world doesn't have things like that. A burden is a burden to the world. To me, my burden is freedom. My indebtedness to you is my absolute pride and joy. My indebtedness to the students that I serve at least at West High School and that I preach the gospel to on a weekly basis, it's my privilege and my bondage. And it's the greatest thing that I can do. Key point. Faithful saints live indebted to Christ. And in turn, they live indebted to all those that Christ cherishes. 
that he loves. Because I'm indebted to what Jesus Christ did for me, I'm indebted to the gospel, right? The truth of who he is, that's what I'm indebted to. Right? Is that message. Is that mission. And because of that, I'm going to cherish and be indebted to all those things that God values in this world. And you know what he values? He values human souls. He values people. He calls them, he calls a soul like a precious gem, a jewel, a stone. People are like precious stones. It's, 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 tr- it's the treasure of heaven is the souls of men. And because that is what I, I believe, I'm indebted to do that work. Faithful saints live indebted to Christ and in turn they, they live indebted to all those that Christ cherish. Verse 16, and we'll close uh, here in a moment. Verse 16, verse 16. Lastly, he he longed to strengthen them. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Amen. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Final key point. Faithful saints are not ashamed. And are not afraid. Those are two different words, by the way. (coughs) But they have a strong connection, don't they? I am unashamed and I am unafraid. Boy, and we struggle with that. What fears are you carrying? Believer? Indebted one? Ambassador for Jesus Christ? What, what's provoking fear in you, in you, in your heart? Faithful saints are not ashamed and they are not afraid because they know they carry a message of freedom. That's our message, it's freedom. You know, you can't really carry a message of freedom if you live life ashamed or in bondage or in fear. That's not faith. That's not faithfulness. To be faithful means to set all your fears aside. So listen to me, guys, especially those of you who are starting new Bible studies in new places in the city. Or maybe you're, you're, you're a part of a new work that's, that's like Penn Valley, like with Connor, like, right? Miyoko. Miyoko, are you going with her, though? Uh, no. No. Okay. So, so anybody going to Penn Valley, anybody that's going to be a part of that work, raise your hand. Okay. Unashamed and unafraid. Unashamed and unafraid, right? Grandview. Who, who's interested in, in, in going to Grandview? Who's, who's called to go to Grandview? Unashamed and unafraid. Longview. Longview. Two? Two people. Where's Elijah at this morning? Unashamed and unafraid. Listen, we're going to plant Bible studies all over the city. And if we think that we can't do it, well, well, you can't. You can't do it. Jesus and Christ in you can do it. 
And because of Jesus Christ, we should be unashamed and unafraid. And if you're full of fear, and if you're full of faith, faithlessness, um, then no one wants to hear your message. We have to believe that Jesus Christ, his natural inclination is to make his, his name famous in this world. And you can either be a part of that or not. You can either look trial in the face and stand strong and trust the Lord or not. If we are going to reach this city for Christ, our Bible studies need to be breeding grounds for discipleship. They need to be places of fellowship, of comfort, places of cultivating a culture of evangelism and reaching the lost. That's what they need to be. And so that, that hopefully is an encouragement to some of you. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray right now. But there's some of you in this room where all of this is foreign to you. Everything I've said is foreign to you. You don't know Jesus Christ as your friend and Savior. The mission doesn't belong to you because, well, you've been living this life over here and you've heard of Jesus and you've heard the stories. You're familiar with it. But you've never let go or relented yourself in order to join him. Who in here, who in here has that testimony? Who knows in their heart they've never joined themselves to Jesus Christ? You know he died to set you free? Like what good is, like you, have you ever thought about it? What good is Jesus Christ if he didn't set people free? We just have to be good. Just try to be good and earn our way to heaven. What, what is it? What kind of life is that? You can't do that. Well, maybe if I'm just good enough. If if, boy, that always ends in heartache, that type of thing, thinking. No, no, no. There's so much security in saying, I can't do it. I've, I've, my life is, is in a cycle of destruction. And I just can't do it anymore. I don't know where I'm headed. I don't have purpose. I don't have comfort. I don't have people like this in my life. I, I don't have anyone to set me free. I don't, I don't have that. Today is the day where you should pray and ask Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. And you should commit yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You should do that. And as I pray, if you know that that's you... <laughs> I want you to grab a hold of someone that you know in here who has the answer for that. I want you to grab them, and I want you to go pray. I want you to go find a space in the building, and I want you to go pray. Do you understand? Okay, can you lead us in a song of worship? Okay. Let's, let's pray, guys. Guys, we have a mission, and that's to spread the fame of Jesus Christ. Oh. You don't get it. We have to be enthusiastic. Because if this is just another thing that we do, if this is just another religious activity, we're in trouble. This has to be our heartbeat. This is it, guys. Let's be about the work. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you this morning. And many of us know you, and we need you. We need you to provoke in us, to build in us a faith that is unashamed and unafraid. It's devoted to the mission of Jesus Christ. That the, the, the message of faithfulness would be on our lips, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be on our lips. We need you to do that work in us, to push us. 
to put us on the field, to, to help us to actualize and live out the calling that you've given us. Lord, now is the time. Now is the time to make a decision to follow you in that way. Lord, there's some of us who just don't know you. And we're far from you. And it's time for us to repent of the sin that we face. And God, I pray that those people in this room that don't know you, that they would, that they would seek help in your word. That, that, that they would grab someone that could show them what it means to follow you. God, give them the courage to do that this morning. We ask this in the name, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.